We all know we should collaborate more with others, but a lot of us struggle doing it as consistently as we should. On this episode, how to make your work more visible so you can be more effective and open the doors to new opportunities. This is Coaching for Leaders, episode 397. Produced by Innovate Learning, maximizing human potential. Greetings to you from Orange County, California. This is Coaching for Leaders, and I'm your host, Dave Stahoviak. Leaders aren't born, they're made. And this weekly show gives you access to the practical wisdom that will empower you to become a better leader. I think almost all of us have had that desire to make our work more visible and to be able to collaborate more effectively with others, to be generous, to do so many of the things that we talk about regularly in the Coaching for Leaders community. And yet, we all run into the daily challenges of organizational politics, of not being able to make the changes we necessarily want to make, even though the intention is there. Today's guest is going to challenge us with a framework that's going to help us to really take that first step to be able to work out loud more effectively, not only for our own benefit, but for the benefit of so many others. I am pleased to welcome John Stepper to the show. John helps organizations create more collaborative cultures and helps individuals access a better career and life by spreading the practice of working out loud. He developed Working Out Loud, a practice that helps people to be more effective access more opportunities, and feel happier at work. Over the last several years, a small movement has formed based on his self-published book, a TEDx talk, and a peer support method that spread to over 40 countries and companies like Bosch, Daimler, BMW, and Siemens. Today, he's helping people and organizations craft their jobs into something more meaningful by building relationships that matter. John, I've heard your name for several years, and I'm so glad to get to finally uh, connect with you. Thank you. That was quite the introduction. Thanks very much. I appreciate it. Oh, the pleasure is mine. And I think the story probably should start back with, as so many good ideas begin, Something that you know you really were looking for for yourself, and I've heard you use the term that you were playing career roulette for a bit, and at one point you ran out of luck. Tell me more about that. So I'd been working in big companies for twenty plus years at this point, around two thousand eight, and I you know get called into the office one day, and it's that moment as soon as you walk in, you know this is not going to be a good meeting with the boss. And, uh, you know, he avoids eye contact and he's like, John, we're going to make a change. And I didn't really hear what happened after that because what he was talking about was there's a reorg. My job was changed. I had to go find something else. And if I could find something internally, you know, great. Otherwise, you know, dot, dot, dot. And I left that meeting and I realized I realized just how little control I had that in a room somewhere, uh, somebody decides, you know, the, the lines on the org chart are going to change or there's some other external factor and your career changes and your life changes. And you go home, you tell your wife, you tell your friends. And I thought about what, what, what would I do? And I realized I didn't even have 
the ability or the, the, the connections to take a next step. I'd have to get a headhunter, I guess, or a recruiter so I could use their network. And it was that moment when I really decided I needed to do something else, something better than rely on a good boss or getting picked or luck to managing the rest of my career in life. And I did wind up getting a job inside the same company, but that was right around 2008 was when I started to look for a better way. And that became working out loud. As you began, what were the first steps that you took that illuminated a better way? So 2008, social networks were starting to become a thing, even inside companies. There were organizations like Jive or, or products like Yammer. So you could see that if you could take advantage of the capabilities of these tools, then it would be like the internet at work, that, that you didn't need a boss necessarily to determine how good or bad you were in a performance review, you could, you could do that yourself. You could make your work visible and the public feedback on it would be the best 360 degree performance review you'd ever have. You could also connect with anybody in the company because again, it's like the internet at work, right? People related to what you were doing or people who were doing what you'd want to do that you could learn from, all of that was at your fingertips. And that's where I started. I started with the technology thinking that that was the key, that if only we had these tools, then everybody would use them. And I started to use them myself to learn how to both shape my reputation, but to do it in such a way that wasn't about marketing or didn't feel fake, but was just contributing. And that led to connections, which led to projects and other opportunities in the company. One of the things I love about your work is there's so many core concepts that line up with so much of our community of, of being generous and growth mindset and building relationships. And the one that really leapt out at me that I think many people wish for, but they probably haven't thought as much intentionally about is something you said just a moment ago, which is making work more visible. Tell me more about what that looks like. If you're trying, whatever your goal is, right? you're trying to get something done at work or you're trying to explore a new topic or learn more about it, how do you do that? And it turns out that whatever you're working on, how you're doing it, why you're doing it, what resources have been helpful, who's been helpful, even questions that you have. All of that can be useful to somebody else, right? somebody else related to that goal. And when you develop the habit of exposing those things, it's like a pebble in a pond. Uh, even something as simple as a question, if I'm working on a new project, I'm working on something with uh, people in healthcare, my habit is to say, hey, I'm working on this. It's not finished. In fact, we're just we're in the first draft of it. But here it is, and that pebble in the pond attracts other people who care about that thing. Maybe they have contacts, maybe they've got experience or lessons, maybe they want to work with me. And that practice, if you will, of thinking of what you're doing in the broadest possible sense, not just the finished product, but in the broadest possible sense, and exposing that in some way, it, could, it doesn't have to be social media, but the social platforms really give you an advantage, extend your reach. That's what leads you to people and opportunities you just wouldn't even know existed otherwise. 
What's an example of some of the people you've seen that have, as, as they've begun to do this, like what that looks like, that that's showing up and that making their work visible? So I'll talk about a woman at Bosch. So she stumbled across my work early, it was 2015. The book had just come out. There were these very rough circle guys, these peer support group method you mentioned. And at first it's just, exposing that she's interested in it. So she would put something on LinkedIn maybe or on Twitter that she had come across it and she was reading it or that she liked it. That's how I got to know this woman in Stuttgart, Germany, right? I live in New York City. That led to a phone call. Over time, she does some experiments inside and outside her company. And every once in a while, she'd share what happened, what worked, what she learned, what she might do next. And each one of those, it was like expanding the perimeter of her potential. Each one of those, those contributions that she made, right, just exposing what she was doing and why and what she learned, made other steps possible. And so eventually, met Bosch, it wound up spreading because she would share it internally as well. And then that got her a different kind of job at Bosch. Eventually, it like, connected her to other companies like Daimler, BMW, et cetera. It led to an HR award. And just last week, she was at the CEO's press conference where they announced the annual results. And wow. she gave the talk before the CEO. Wow. And it, it's not to say that, you know, oh, you work out loud on some magic beans that all of a sudden, you, you know, you're successful. But what it does do is it gives you a different way to explore what's out there and earn access to it in a self-directed way. I suspect that there are some people who work in organizations and they look at like what Bosch has done with with your work and kind of have a sense of what that really looks like and feel ready to jump in. And I also sense that there's probably people listening who think about making their work more visible and are just wondering how does that look? How does that show up? Where would be the first step I would take? For those that this may be seeming like a little more of a, a, a foreign concept even, where do you encourage people start? What I don't do is encourage them to make their work visible. Because my experience when I was working at Deutsche Bank was that that was a bridge too far for most people, um, like you pointed out. So saying, hey, you should, you should share what you're doing on the internet or on the intranet so that you could you know, build your network. You know what? Most people are just too busy and in many cases too distracted to think that way. Or you know, they'd be worried about, what if I say something stupid? What if people don't like it? What if I get in trouble? What if my boss doesn't let me? And all, all of that is resistance that prevents people from even taking a step. So what I did over the course of the last 10 years was try to figure out, well, what's a way I could break down that resistance? What's a way I could make it much, much easier for people to take small steps over time in a way that they got positive reinforcement along the way and it ultimately became a set of habits and a mindset. And that's what led to this peer development method, these working out loud circles. Tell me about touching the treadmill. That was a phrase from Martha Beck, 
Martha Beck's a life coach. She's been on Oprah. Oprah, she's super famous. And she's written a number of really great books. But in one of her blogs, she talked about exercise. Diet and exercise is kind of like collaboration and generosity and the other words you used. Because, yeah, we know that they're good. But, you know, man, I'm busy. I don't have time for this. Or it's just not, it's not part of my everyday. And it takes time and effort and attention for me to make it part of my day. Most people just don't get there. So Martha Beck said, look, there's all sorts of resistance in your head. And to break it down, shrink it until it becomes fear-free or resistance-free. And her extreme example is, hey, you want to you know, exercise? You want a gym habit, uh, but it's not working for you? Well, then, then maybe, just, maybe just run for 15 minutes instead of an hour. Or you run once a week instead of three times. But if that's still not working, just go to the treadmill and touch it. And as ludicrous as that sounds, it flips it. It engages the progress principle so that, well, once you're there and you've touched it, you're like, okay, I'm here. I might as well do a little something, right? And that tiny step is what reverses the normal blame and shame cycle. And it unlocks the next step and the next step and the next. It's not enough. It's not enough to make it a habit, but it's enough to get you started. Yeah. This strikes me as like so central, this concept of taking that next step to your work. Because as you said, like so many of us want to do this, want to be more generous, want to make our work more visible. Want to take control of our career. Want to take control of our careers. Exactly. Almost everyone articulates that that I work with, and I'm sure you hear that too. And yet it's the behavior change that's the hard part. And the, the thing that's really fascinating to me is you've clearly stumbled onto some things in, some, in your work that have worked not only well for individuals, but organizations. And so when you think about that touching the treadmill concept, and then thinking about it in the professional context, as you have explored working out loud and it's developed, what have you found that's really worked to inspire behavior change in people? The number one thing, because again, behavior Changing any behavior requires more than you wanting to or some set of steps, uh, no matter how small they are. Like you have to feel something. And originally, like I said, I came at this from a technology angle. And then it was, hey, here's how you can use social media and share your work. None of that produced any sustainable change. I'd say the number one ingredient was that I turned it into a peer support method in a confidential, psychologically safe space. So that in a group of four or five people, you could, without worrying about what the boss said, or without worrying about what someone else went judge you or shame you, you, you could take these first steps, but there were other people taking them with you. And it was that kind of give and take, so to speak, to use Adam Grant's phrase, yeah. that give and take in that psychologically safe space that made you say, hey, maybe I, maybe I could. And you start small, week two, it gets a little bit bigger, three, four. Over time, as you make different kinds of contributions from the most trivial, like offering attention or appreciation to bigger things like making your work visible, over time, you get a bit more confident. And, and that's the feeling that makes people come back. That's the feeling that makes 
the new behavior a bit more sustainable because you're hungry for that feeling. Does that make sense? It does. What is it about that community, that small group of four to five people that brings that out that maybe doesn't happen with reading a book or going to watch a TED Talk or any of the other things that many of us do to try and improve our behavior? Well, look, you read any of the habit change books, right? One of the things for sure they're going to talk about is peer support. What peer support gives you is structure. So there's a time and a place that we're going to show up and have our little working out loud meeting. It gives you shared accountability, like, oh, we're supposed to do this exercise and I know they're going to talk about it. So I, I, I need to do that thing. And it gives you support, both emotional, but also other kinds of support related to the steps that you're trying to take. And that combination of things, again, it, it's not enough just to be in a peer support group. But if you combine these, these ingredients in the habit change soup of small steps, peer support, celebrations along the way, feedback and along the way so that you feel like you're making progress combined, these can lead to, to a shift in both your habits, but also in your mind. But it's that people to people give and take that you experience in that uh, circle that makes the difference. And my sense is, is that it's less about, and perhaps not even at all in the, in the structure of the group, like what is discussed? or what the goal is, or what the movement is people want to make, but that what where the intention really is, is on the structure, creating the space and the movement forward so that when people come together and work as collaborators, that they're able to support each other in going wherever each of them need to go that's going to help them to work out loud more effectively. Like, y- yes and no, because, and, th- and this is, you know, people are messy, so there's not just one formula. My own experience was if you put four or five people in a room and then they look at each other and like, well, what do we do? What is it exactly we're supposed to talk about? And there's, it's actually a level of, of discomfort that they'll experience. Who's leading the group? Who's, like, who's, who's the facilitator, right? Yeah. Who's running this meeting? What I wound up doing over time was to give people enough structure inside that session that gives them permission to take a step. So there are, there are specific exercises every week. Uh, so it, it's not a free-form support group. Those have a place, but this is more of a curriculum than a free-form support group. And the guide now allows this team, the self-organized group or circle, to take steps that most people would not take on their own. So it's this balance of structure and, and discussion and freedom and hopefully I got that balance reasonably right. What's really uh, fascinating, too, is that so many large organizations have adopted the Working Out Loud framework and are utilizing Yeah, I didn't expect it. that. Yeah, I know. It's really, it's really amazing. And I'm curious, as that started to happen, what does that look like within an organization um, of not only the groups coming together, but also what's coming out of that for them? So when I wrote the book, I really just wrote it because I felt they had something to say and I thought it could help other people like me who, were, who wanted a bit more out of life but didn't necessarily know how to explore that. So back to the Bosch example because they're, they're a good example. But the, the pattern there is now a pattern at a number of other places, which is 
it starts with one person because the, the material's free. So you just download on the internet, form a group, and you're on your own. And in fact, her boss didn't even, didn't even like the idea of her doing it because they were busy. And Katerina did it anyway on her own time. And it's the kind of thing that if you don't like it, then you don't like it. It's not your thing. But she did, or circle did. They, they told a few friends, a few more circles formed, and a few more. And then she did something very smart, which is she collected feedback from them. Again, it's, it's just a grassroots movement, right? That's all it is. There's no, no budget. There's no permission, no manager. Just a little grassroots movement. But she collects some feedback, and she goes back to her boss and others and says, here's what people say. And they're like, oh. Well, that's interesting. Maybe we should do more of that. And that leads to an event and more circles. And then over time, she's able to take the, the kind of the visible <laughs> theme. She's able to take what she's made visible, the testimonies of these people who've been through it. And now she's able to get kind of institutional support from HR onboarding or culture change or other programs. And that ultimately led to sponsorship from the board. Wow. And, and that in and of itself is an element of uh, really working out loud of taking that feedback and what people are saying and, and making it visible within the organization. Right. Now, it turns out, again, what I didn't expect is that this practice is, is very work-friendly, right? Because every company and every PowerPoint deck is talking about collaboration and innovation. And if only we could be a learning organization and tap into what the company knows et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's the same themes for over 30 years that I've been working. And it's not bad. Like the, the programs that they have in place typically are very good at raising awareness. They have all the right words, but what's missing, what's missing in these corporate programs tends to be any kind of actual behavior change, right? People need help with that, except people are messy and behavior change is hard and it doesn't fit neatly into a program. So I, I sometimes do working out loud circles for companies. It's just, just complementing what they're already doing so that on their own, people can experience a new way of working until it becomes a new normal. And done in such a way that it's easy to spread, which makes it easy for companies to administer in a lightweight way. If you think about some of the people at some of the organizations and what that behavior change looks like, like, what do they say? when it okay. starts to come together. So let's go back to what makes you change anything as an individual. It's not because that there's a burning platform that the boss presented in the town hall. It's not because there's digital transformation and we need to, we need to act differently, right? All of those things might be true. They're just not enough to motivate me. They're not about me. So most behavior change comes from some kind of intrinsic motivation. And a book that I'm sure all of your listeners have read by Dan Pink, Drive, yeah. he summarizes this very well. We all have the same intrinsic motivators, autonomy, mastery, purpose, a need for control or self-determination, for competence, for getting better at something, and for connection to purpose or to other people. And that's what this taps into. It says, hey, I'm in this circle. No one's telling me what to do, number one. I choose a goal, and over these 12 weeks, I decide who to reach out to, what kinds of contributions to make. I'm learning both from the people in this group, give and take there, but also in the give and take 
in my new and growing network. And, and then I feel something, right? That exchange that Adam Grant talks about leads to a deepening sense of trust and relatedness. And now people get it. Now people say, ah, I, I see. If I can determine how I work, and you use the word job crafting, which is absolutely relevant here, I can determine elements of my job, whether it be tasks or relationships. And then based on that, I can learn things that I, are under my control. I can develop this sense of connection. And once you, once you feed those big three intrinsic motivators, then people will do it on their own because they want to. And that's exactly what the company wants you to do. They don't want you to wait for instructions anymore, right? That worked for 100 years, but now it's like, no, 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 please. Would you figure it out on your own? Yeah. And in order for them to do that, in order for them to develop this sense of, of agency after decades of being told not to, you need to feed those big three intrinsic motivators. And working out loud is one way to do that. The, the word that's coming up for me, I'm thinking about Daniel Pink's work and what you're doing, is giving people agency over those internal motivators that we all already have and giving them the agency and the framework to be able to, and, and, the, and a bit of the permission and the structure to say, hey, I'm going to jump in and follow that and do something really great with that as opposed to doing a top-down approach. Right. Something I wrote about today was in a manufacturing environment was another great book for your readers if they haven't come across it is Everybody Matters. It's about a manufacturing company called Barry Waymiller and it's written by their CEO. And why I bring it up is that, well, what does agency look like in a manufacturing environment? Right, like that's highly prescribed. It's all about lean manufacturing and squeezing out costs and error. And what the book did a good job of is showing that, you know, these are people, right? And people need those big three. So in a manufacturing context, that means, hey, I have a voice, like people listen to my ideas about how to make it better, about how to make our products better. And, and the give and take in the factory is absolutely different than the give and take maybe at the headquarters, but it's the same underlying kind of principles or elements that make people feel better and feel more motivated. And I love that we can come at it not just from the research angle, or from companies like Bosch, who are you know, kind of 400,000 person companies across the planet, but even from a manufacturing environment where people don't have email addresses or social intranets, the same principles apply. And I hope to do work with groups like that as well. I'm conscious of you having said the word grassroots a few times. And so I'm not sure if I'll ask this question the right way, but I, I am curious because I know there are people, part of our community, who are hearing this and thinking, gosh, I would love to see the people in my organization, in my department, to start something like this, maybe even start a working out loud circle. And I'm curious, John, what you've seen for leaders who want to make the invitation to begin to open up the space, but are conscious of like, I don't want this to be a top-down thing. I really want to give people agency. Where do you suggest they start? That's a good point. The feeling, when it, when it works, the feeling should be that it is employee-led, but ultimately management-supported. BMW is a good example where um, just people, one guy worked in IT purchasing, a lady was a project manager, and they just formed circles, spread a few, 
uh, wrote about it on their uh, on their intranet, and a little grassroots movement formed. Same thing, like Katarina at Bosch, they make that visible, that leads to an event, and now they've got 500 people in an auditorium with the CEO of Rolls-Royce talking about it. That's a very different feeling than if that CEO told them they needed to do this as part of the new culture program. Right. So what I would suggest for leaders, two things. First, in the very beginning, it's simply allow for these kinds of lightweight experiments to go on. So if someone's doing it, say, that's great. What did you learn? It's good to see that we're trying different things because the world of work is changing. And so by all means, we, 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 we want to be that kind of a place that does these small experiments and learns and adapts. And then as it gets a bit bigger, you know, even leaders can work out loud, like no matter where you are in a hierarchy, offering contributions of attention or appreciation or your opinions on what's happening and why, all of that signals to the rest of the organization that it's safe to do that, that they won't get in trouble. And I've used that phrase which is a bit jargony of psychological safety multiple times. But in the, the, the nice Google research about what makes for an effective team, that keeps coming up. And Amy Edmondson did some great research on this as a, as a top factor in the performance of any group. And what we're trying to give people is the space to experience that. And leaders can add to that by signaling that the behavior is safe just by their own contributions. And then it becomes management supported so that you could reach more people and the resistance is lowered even further. Well, and it gets back to what we were talking about earlier of that safety of there's that, uh, you know, there's organizations where this would be, you know, immediately embraced. And then there's organizations where there's not as much of that psychological safety and, you know, what we can do from a leadership standpoint to provide the environment for a bit of that so that there is the invitation to be able to lean in and to do a bit of this. And for those who are listening and thinking, hey, this would be a really great model for me to introduce into our organization, or maybe there's something I want to run with on this. What's a good starting point for them? Well, first, I'll tell you what not to do. So the mistake that I made was that I tried to appeal to everybody. And that's a waste of time. When you're starting out, you don't, don't, please don't waste your energy trying to convince everyone, here's the better way, right? I, was, I would evangelize things. I would, I would try and teach them, you know, forget that. Try and find four of the people, right? Maybe form one circle, two. Look for the early adopters. And it, it's back to your touch the treadmill metaphor. That start small, frame it as an experiment. And just try to reach the people like you who are a little bit open, they're curious, and they'll try it with you. And then try another one. And then, like Katarina, see if that could spread to a few. And only when, only when you have some kind of critical mass, you have your own little grassroots movement, then you might consider collecting some evidence and, and, and showing folks who might be in that second or third wave. But for sure, try it yourself. Find some other early adopters. That'll, that'll be your best, best way to evaluate how or if this kind of things applies to you and your organization. And if it does, then just keep going in kind of concentric circles and to find more and more people until you have a critical mass. And then there's, there's a whole working out community that would love to help you to go even further. And the wonderful thing about what you've created is that 
the guides and the framework for the circles are all free. So we're going to link to all of that in the notes and also this week's uh, weekly leadership guide for those of you who uh, get that on Wednesday, uh, be watching for all those links. So you can take that first step as well. John, I am curious as you've done this work, one of the questions I often ask of leaders and influencers is were they failed? Because leadership is, of course, about learning and about growing. I was afraid and, you were going to ask me that question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, indeed. As you've dived in to this work and gone down this journey yourself, where have you failed in the last few years? Uh, so uh, I joke that there's a long list of things that, particularly as, as I'm doing what I'm doing now, I, I haven't done this before, you know, start my own business in my 50s. Like, who does that? And so I'm learning a lot. But I, the thing I'd I guess I'd want to highlight for your audience was that I was working on this. I mentioned starting in 2008 while I still had a job. So it was very safe, right? It gave me a chance to experiment, to explore all, all as part of my job. But in 2016, I worked in a bank and the banking industry is crumbling. And then around the layoffs, I'm one of them. So now, unlike 2000, 2008, it's not a threat. It's not a possibility. It's the real thing. Except in 2016, I had been working out loud for several years. Right? So instead of the shame and humiliation of being laid off, instead of the, the updated LinkedIn post, uh, looking for new opportunities, can we have coffee? Instead of that, I, in a sense, made my own luck. And... I had a network of people who knew what I did, who cared about what I did. And so I had opportunities. So the, the month after I got laid off, I was on a plane to Germany. I gave a talk at Bosch. We started to do some work together. And that gave me uh, the confidence and at least, at least a chance, wasn't guaranteed, but at least a chance of, of doing something else. And that for me was was what I mean by self-determination. You know, I got laid off and I didn't have to wait to get picked by somebody else, by a headhunter or another boss or another company. I was able to take steps on my own because I'd been working out loud along the way and that increased the odds for me. And so that contrast between those two events in 2008 and 2016, I, I think people can relate to. I really do hope that that's what I offered other people is the chance to just take a bit more control to give themselves access, to earn that access to other possibilities that might, that might help them realize a bit more from work and life, you know, whatever that means for them. I've heard learning described as not repeating the same mistakes. And it's really interesting hearing your story of you essentially had almost the same thing happen to you twice, <laughs> once in 2008, <laughs> once in 2016. In 2008, you recognized, gosh, there's so much more that I need to do. And when, the, when a very similar thing happened in 2016, you were in a very different place. And it's just, it's so inspiring to see what you did through that, that initial failure and responded and created something that not only has been helpful to you, but has been helpful to so many others. Yeah, certainly, thank you. But to, for sure, I'm not special. Like this is, it's a set of readily learnable skills that anybody could practice. All it takes is small steps over time with feedback and peer support along the way. And then anybody 
can increase their odds, whether or not you form your own company or you get a new job or you just, you just, you just get a bit more joy out of your every day. Anybody can learn these skills. And I, you know, I hope some of you will try a circle and see if it's right for you. John Stepper, author of Working Out Loud. John, so appreciate your generosity and your willingness to help us all change our behavior. Oh, this is great. Dave, I had fun. Thank you very, very much. I appreciate it. Thank you, John, for inspiring us all to work out loud. So much more in the show notes, including the link to download my highlights from John's book, Working Out Loud, a ton more in there. And of course, the link for starting a working out loud circle, as we mentioned in the conversation, a ton of resources that are available for free for you and others in your organization who are thinking of doing something like this. Uh, In addition, a number of past episodes that relate directly to our conversation today. We mentioned the work of both Adam Grant and Daniel Pink. They've both been on the show previously. Adam Grant on episode 238, talking about how to be a nonconformist, and Daniel Pink most recently on episode 332, The Scientific Secrets of Perfect Timing. Uh, In addition to those two episodes, several other episodes that relate directly to our conversation today on behavior change and doing it in collaboration with others. Uh, Episode 337, Six Tactics to Achieve Extraordinary Performance. It was one of the most downloaded episodes last year with Morton Hansen. We talked about how to affect behavior change over a 90-day increment. Incidentally, that's the exact same time frame that John Stepper has identified in his Working Out Loud circles. So a lot of consistency we're finding around that time frame of really making a significant behavior change. If you're looking for even more on the nuts and bolts of how to Make a Specific Change, episode 337, is a great complement to this conversation, of course. Also, I'd recommend episode 376, How to Become the Person You Want to Be, with James Clear. We talked about his new book, Atomic Habits, and some of the recent research out there now on how to really form a new habit. A great complement, again, to behavior change and helping you to become more of the person you want to become by your behaviors. Episode 376 is where to go for that. And then I would be remiss if I didn't mention the recent conversation with Priya Parker on episode 395, how to create meaningful gatherings. That's really what uh, John has done in his work is gathered people together with a clear purpose and and a framework. And he stepped into that power that we all have when we bring people together and take on that role as host. And Priya Parker really inspired us to do that. So a lot of alignment there as well. Episode 395 will get you thinking that way too. I hope you'll check out all of those and other episodes that may be of value to you as well. Just by going over to coachingforleaders.com, you can activate your free membership, search the entire catalog by topic since 2011, access the free audio course, the weekly leadership guides coming on Wednesday, the member casts, my own personal library. There's a ton more inside the free membership, all of it available completely for free. Go over to coachingforleaders.com to access it all. Next week, I'm glad to welcome Julia Taylor Kennedy to the show. She is from the Center for Talent Innovation. She's going to be helping us to discover what we gain from sponsoring 
people. I think you're going to enjoy that conversation a bunch. It gets past what we traditionally think about of just mentoring. How do we move to sponsor? See you next week for that. Take care.